1: Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast, and I'm very excited to have a newish friend uh, in my life. His name is Zach Leary. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Zach before we hop into this conversation that I'm very excited to have with him. Zach is the host of the It's All Happening Podcast, an infrequent blogger, writer, and a seasoned digital marketer and brand strategist. Zack is also a practitioner of bhakti yoga, is taught through many of the Vedantic systems of northern India. Through the practice of bhakti yoga, he has found keys that unlock doorways that allow the soul to experience its true nature of being eternal, full of knowledge, and full of bliss. In addition to bhakti yoga, Zak has been influenced by many different methods and traditions of consciousness exploration, ranging from transhumanism to Buddhism and clinical psychology. Zach is also a frequent pundit on the political systems that are fueling society's economic systems and structures. At the core of all of Zach's work is the belief that we have been fused together by the adoption and collective practice of using technology, spirituality, and mysticism to define the very nature of who we are. I really dig that, Zach. Welcome to the show.
2: Wow. That was, um, I wrote that. Hey, man. <laughs> that was pretty good. I've well, never heard it read back to me, you know, so it was kind of cool to hear it read back. I was like, hey, I think that might sound okay.
1: It does. And and from this, you know, soothing, sexy voice, I mean, I can only imagine.
2: <laughs> I mean, you know, you're you're a writer. You're, I mean, and you're a lot more of an accomplished uh, writer than I am. But when you write, you know, so much, the voice is in your head. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, rarely do you have uh, somebody else reading your work back to you. Yeah. And when the times when it does, it hasn't happened too often, but when it does, that you kind of like, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. You hear it in a way that I haven't heard before.
1: Yeah. You know, I actually have not experienced that myself, but coincidentally enough, not too long ago, I had Mira by Star on the podcast too. I think maybe she's a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. Lovely, lovely, incredible woman. Um, and I- read a, an excerpt from her most recent work caravan of no despair she said something very similar you know how it's interesting to have it read back to her so i guess i haven't really fully made it yet because no one's read my material back to me <laughs> hint hint to any you know potential people will be interviewing me but anyways man. so thank you for being on the show i'm excited to chat with you Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So Zach and I, uh, like I said earlier, we connected, I don't know, maybe at the end of last year, I think. um, Yeah. Probably through uh, a love server member, mutual friends. uh, I'm assuming that camp. Um, So I'm I'm jazzed to talk to you a bit about that. Uh, There's a number of things I want to get into with you um, today. I figure, though, man, and I'm not one to do the cliche thing. But okay. what I do enjoy doing is with people that are first time guests on my show mm-hmm. is I like talking a bit about their beginnings, you know, going back, what what was your earlier years like, what ultimately led you to the spiritual path, so on and so forth. In your case, I'm guessing that that may be a question you've been asked time and time again, and might be very boring for you to respond to, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, considering who, you know, your father was growing up, uh, Timothy Larry. So dare I start in that way? Do you mind talking a little bit, you know, just an honest general curiosity of what life was like for you as a younger tyke and and what brought you into the spiritual path?
2: Yeah, no, 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 no. I don't mind answering it, um, even though I've been asked it before. I think I always, um, uh, you know, it's something that it, the answer kind of grows within me as I get older. And- sure. Often go further down the path. I think you kind of reinterpret some things and they take on different meanings and, yeah, that, than they originally did, you know, as yeah. you look in your life. Um, but growing up with him, I mean, he was spiritual in the sense that he was, I think, you know, he was a mystic. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no question about that. And he was, um, uh, you know, he he really understood like the principle of going within and exploring, you know, your own consciousness within, you know, within your own individual reality, mm-hmm. and making that into something amazing. But he was not, um, you know, anything that sort of felt like it had an organized practice to it. Yeah, uh, he shunned away from so. You know, even though that, you know, Ram Dass was, was you know, a good friend of ours growing up and he was around often, yeah. Um, you know, I did not consider Ram Dass to be a teacher until much later. I mean, I read Be Here Now uh, in my teenage years and it had a profound effect on me. Mm. And I was, uh, you know, following the Grateful Dead around and reading that book. And it really, it really was an amazing, an amazing experience. And I remember reading that book when I was a teenager and kind of flipping through every page and poring over every page and, you know, turning it upside down, you know, the, the, the illustrations in the back and really getting into it, mm. and it sort of kind of sparked this curiosity of, uh, you know, of Eastern mysticism and of Eastern traditions. Yes. And I sort of got into Alan Watts when I was a teenager because there was a radio station. Um, well, the radio station is still around in LA, but, uh, every, I believe it was every Sunday night. Um, there would be six hours of radio. It would be three hours of Alan Watts tapes. And then a guy named Joe Frank. Cool. And it was like, so, and it was, was kind of like, for anyone who was, <clears throat> you know, grew up in alternative culture in the 80s and 90s in Los Angeles, like, you know, you you kind of huddled around KPFK and you listened to Alan Watts tapes and it was great. Mm. And it kind of did open me up. And then I kind of, uh, I got introduced to ISCON. Um, when I was a teenager as well, the Hare Krishna movement and stuff, right. never really like, you know, do, I didn't dive into the practices until uh, until much later, until um, uh, late in my 20s, as I kind of started to get into yoga, just the physical practice of yoga, mm. which then opened me up to be like, oh my gosh, you know, I actually know Ram Das. maybe I should go see him and read more of his books and kind of get into this. And then it was kind of like, it all came back to me, you know, the teacher suddenly yeah. recovered, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's
1: really cool. So, um, let's see with ISCON. Now, you know, mm-hmm. there's obviously a lot of controversy that's been surrounding them, as there has been a lot of other great teachers like Osho and Trungpa Rinpoche and Alan Watts, even. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you? Is that something you're still involved with, or was that just part of your path when you were younger? Um, you know, were you a, a formal member?
2: No, I mean I'm not an initiated member of okay. of, of ISKCON at all. Uh, I'm still not, but uh, I would say I kind of I view myself as a cousin of of the ISKCON movement. Sure. Um, I spend time at the at the temple here in Los Angeles. One of my uh, great friends and teachers uh, of like today, who's still alive and around today, is a uh, is an ISKCON Swami. Uh, his name is Radhanath Swami. Mm. Um, who's uh, an amazing, amazing bhakta, and he wrote an, an incredible book called A Journey Home. And I've been uh, lucky enough to have his, his association and his friendship over the last uh, seven, eight years, and I've become pretty close to him. So um, he's an amazing, amazing bhakta. But no, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm not a member, but I do. Uh, I do appreciate. I'll tell you what I really appreciate about iskon if yeah. I could define it.
1: Yeah,
2: it's that they have a very set specific set of instructions for baking a cake Mm -hmm. and their ingredients do not waver like it takes exactly this much sugar and exactly this much baking soda and you do not alter it but when you bake their cake that way it does equal you know a certain kind of cake that is amazing and it is delicious (laughs) so their their brand (laughs) of um you know the ecstasy that is sort of experienced as a result of doing their practices. It is a real thing. Oh yeah. Like one of my favorite things to do in India is to spend time in Brindavan and, and, and hang out with those guys because their <laughs> level of, of ecstasy of, of the divine and their celebration of it and uh, is, is really palpable. And I, I really, really respect that about them for sure. I know there's a lot of controversy around the movement in the late seventies and early eighties, and that can't be ignored. And I, don't want to ignore that, but I, I, I do think there are a lot of great people in the movement today, and uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, very well said, you know, and, and I just ask out of personal curiosity, I have friends that uh, grew up with it and are still uh, initiated members, and they are some of, you know, the most beautiful people I know. They they take it very seriously, and uh, really, they're just tremendous souls. I remember my introduction, actually, to the, the Hare Krishna movement was uh, back in, I don't know, probably 93 and i was very uh involved with the punk hardcore music scene and there were actually a, a, a handful of uh of these bands like shelter 108 Prima, they come to mind. A couple of them are still playing.
2: We have some mutual friends in uh, in the Montrology Records guys. Oh,
1: there you go. Exactly. So, right, you know, Kylie and uh, and and yeah. So, uh, but that was my initial introduction. You know, I I wasn't really formally interested in spirituality, so to speak, at that time. But I certainly remember seeing. You know, they'd bring the copies of Gita and other escond material, and um, you know, I, I would sometimes thumb through it at their merch table. But it wasn't until, you know, several years later that I actually started taking an interest, not just in ISKCON, but anything I can get my hands on. You know, similar to You Be Here Now was, for me, one of the earliest books in my own path and really turned me on significantly to the Eastern teachings. And uh, any any and everything I could get my hands on is... uh, that was my path at the time. And, uh, and, and this con was, was not an exception to that. So it's cool though, to see that, you know, they're, they're still doing what they're doing. Um, there's, like you said, some really great people. And like I said, you know, you look at a lot of these great teachers and there uh, is a bit of controversy surrounding them, you know, and then you have two sides of the camp, you know, one that's saying that, that makes anything they've said null and void you know they can't be trusted and then there's others who say you know you look at the message not the container and i'm sure there's people in between but um regardless i think their teachings are uh exceptionally important what what do you think about that when i i mean for you as has someone like Trungpa rinpoche for example has he been um, impactful in your life at all
2: um a little bit yeah, yeah. um uh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would not consider myself to be a, a scholar. Sure, any um, respect, um, but yes, for sure. And I do have a lot of um, uh, a lot of thoughts about that. Um, you know, with the guru system,
0: yeah. you
2: know, comes along this um, predisposition to elevate the guru into almost a, a, a form of, you know, the divine him or herself, right putting them on a pedestal and treating them almost as a God. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of risk that goes along with that. Cause, <laughs> uh, you know, I think 99% of the time, um, you know, the guru is human and, um, and deals with, you know, human karmas and human, uh, fallibilities that like we all do. Right. And, you know, they make, they, and they make mistakes and, you know, and that, that that that's just that seems to be sort of part of the Leela with the guru system. But to me, that does not really take away from a lot of their core teachings, like same with, with Trumpa and um, and you know, even Srila Prabhupada and the ISKCON movement mm-hmm. and um, uh, Muktananda, you know. I mean sure. there's sorts of, you know, dirt about Muktananda There really is. Right you know, he was an accomplished Swami and he he really, you know, from all accounts, he really, you know, had a lot of cities within him. Um, but so I think it just, to me, that the the teaching in that is not to shun the guru system. The teaching in that is just to have a different relationship with those guys. Mm. And not like put them on such a pedestal and just to kind of view them as teachers who are all kind of going through their leader themselves. Of course, the problem arises when, um, uh when dishonesty comes into uh comes into account it's much like the political system like um uh like bill clinton comes to mind i did not have sexual relations (laughs) with a woman you know it wouldn't have been so bad if he didn't say that right it's always the lying that goes along with it it's not the doing of the act it's the lying that goes along with it so um you know i don't want to mention any names in the guru system but that's obviously you know been a you know uh, do what I say, not what I do kind of thing. And that's total bullshit. You know, we, right. we can't do that. But I think, uh, you know, that's so much why, um, uh, it, this is such a huge reason why Ram Das has been such an influential teacher for me and, uh, for so many others, Is because he is very much the, uh, the teacher who wears his humanity on his sleeve, you know, right. never try to hide any of it. He was always very vocal about the things that that he was uh, struggling with—food or sex or anything like that. Yeah, and uh, it, and that was just part of his leela, and part of his teaching, and and it wasn't about being phony holy. Right. So I think uh, you know I go back to Ram Dass time and time and time and time again um, because I've in my life I've had to uh, I've dealt with some of my humanity maybe in a more pronounced way than than a lot of the people have. Um, and, you know, I find Ram Dass to be such a comforting teacher because of that.
1: You know, yes, amen to that. And and that's, you know, if there's someone that's influenced my own style of writing, um, you know, more than anyone else, I I would have to say Ram Dass, hands down. I remember, besides be here now, getting my hands on uh, a lot of his old tapes, the lectures from, you know, talks he would give 60s, 70s, 80s, 80s. Um, and just listening to them and being so surprised, this was very early on in my path, but being so surprised about how transparent he was, you know, and in, in sharing what he was struggling with in in this human condition that we all obviously deal with on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, that really meant a lot to me because early on, you know, not only was I reading the the Eastern stuff I could get my hands on, but I was also grasping, I mean, I was just, grabbing anything I could get my hands on. So whether that was the more new agey, popular New York Times bestsellers, you know, I was reading those too. And so on On the one side, there was this really polished, pretty, neatly packaged, you know, uh, just lovely spirituality. And then I, you know, I'm reading this other stuff and it was just this messy, raw, authentic, uh, come as you are kind of spirituality, which of course that was what resonated much Deeper for me, and uh, my my own path gravitated in that direction. Um, but that was so important, and so today, you know, when I write, um, it is very, very important for me to be completely transparent as well about this, the struggles I face. You know, I now <laughs> I don't want anyone to mistake that I think I am anywhere near the teacher Ram Dass You know, because that's ridiculous. That's apples and oranges. Um, but. I'm just very grateful for that influence and that inspiration, Um, especially today, because there's no shortage of styles of teaching, without naming names, that, again, still keep it very clean and polished, and um, that's just not my cup of tea. Uh, I still... Obviously, you prefer the real and the raw, uh, yep. and I love that Ram Das is still doing that. You know, in, in today today's day and age, so
2: he still is. He's still shining pretty
1: pretty bright. He is. It's really incredible. I actually have a call with him tomorrow. I'm very excited to be hopping on. So that'll be nice.
2: Oh, speak- are you going to turn it into a podcast?
1: Uh, I don't know, to be honest. Raghu and I still have to talk about that. I'm working on a new book, and uh, I'm doing a bit of research, and so the call is for that, but you know we've talked about how can we also repurpose it so we're going to get together after the call and see what we can do with it but um i, I was fortunate to speak with him a few years ago and i did do a uh, a podcast with him and it it was great you know that was my first time connecting with him um in any way even though it was over skype i've never had the the good fortune to get out to hawaii to you know attend one of the gatherings i hope to be there in december but um I'll take what I can get, you know, even not, okay. just it, being in that presence with him on skype that that first time, I remember my wife was there, uh you know she was down visiting this was before we lived together this is a, that's a whole nother story, but uh, I was trying to explain to her after like what the experience was, and I just couldn't there was such a buzz happening in me. And I'm not the type of person, you know. When I hear people talk about that, I, you know, I'm I'm a bit cynical. It's like, all right, maybe, maybe not. But this was like a very real, real experience. Uh, something that has not happened to me very often with people, uh, if ever,
2: really to that extent. Yeah, pretty cool that it can um, that it can happen uh, virtually, right? Right. Yes, yeah. so- I love that. And just that's, that's such a great uh, you know, part of the story.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, well, I would love to hear what, what is your experience been? Cause I know you've been able to spend time with him and it sounds like if I heard you correctly, you, you had a bit more of an appreciation for that in your, your later years is, you know, you, you were exploring the path more. Um, what's that been like for you?
2: Um, well, oh, wow. I mean, it's a big question because it it, it's sort of, um, yeah at first uh when I sort of was kind of reembarking on on the on the spiritual path or you know kind of form, i guess for lack of a better word but formally getting on it sure um and and i and i use that word formally because um i think i'm the kind of i'm the kind of case that needed some formal instruction i don't think that that's true for 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 everybody sure. you know, to to follow any kind of set you know dogma or precepts or anything like that but i kind of um it was i kind of needed to be pointed in a, in a specific direction and have like a little of pre-prescribed pre-pres- um sadhana to go with it um mm-hmm. and that's just the way that my brain works and right. then as i kind of you know gotten got into that i could sort of let things go and kind of create my own path but sure um so as i kind of started to get into it um it kind of just started to, to hit me that wow, you know, I had this relationship with Ramdas that was tremendously underused. Hmm. And then at first I felt uh I felt bad. I felt like a lot of regret. <laughs> I felt like, oh gosh, all this time has gone by. <laughs> what have I been doing? You know. <laughs> oh no, no, jeepers. And then like uh, his first five years in Hawaii, um, I hadn't I didn't even see him once um when he uh moved to Hawaii permanently. Yeah. And I remember the last time I saw him on the mainland and all of that, but it had been like five years and, and I'd been to the island once. And then when I finally went to, to to go see him, um, and we were just kind of sitting in, well, you'll know when you go uh, go to Maui and visit him in, in his house, but you sit in this living room and uh, there's this amazing, uh, amazing statue and mortise of uh, Neem Kroli Baba and Hanuman, and it's just a really beautiful scene. And of mm-hmm. course... It's Hawaii and the whole thing together. And it just was, uh, it was that thing. And you've heard it a million, million, trillion times. And there's books with that, that talk about, about it, but it was just that feeling of coming home. Yeah. Um, and it'd been a long time and just somehow at that moment, at that time, all of those ingredients mixed together just was like, ah,
1: <laughs> was like coming home. that's great. so great. Yeah. You know, so I know that was a big question as you're, you're talking about it. Uh, I'm sitting here looking at a a nice picture of Maharaji staring back at me. And, uh, so (laughs) what's that? Yo, you are too. Yeah. (laughs) Look at that. The transmission's just (laughs) full circle. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how about that? You know, I'm thinking as we were getting on the call, I was, uh, I have this picture, you know, it's next to the TV. So even if I'm watching TV or a movie or something, I don't forget, you know, it just kind of keeps me, uh, brings my mind back to my heart. And, uh, I found myself wondering, you know like it's incredible to see you know the impact that neem crowley Bob has had on so many people's lives, um especially those that never met him at least on the physical plane so to make that big question about Ramdas even bigger let's let's step it up a notch and what do you think it is about this kind of quirky rotund man you know just cloaked in a plaid blanket that's so magical you know i don't even know how else to ask that like what's what's your experience uh of maharaji
2: well i have a there's there's a twofold answer sure there's the mystical answer and then there's the very pragmatic answer
1: i'd love to hear both
2: yeah um the mystical answer is that i do believe that there is a system of yoga that was practiced in india um, throughout a certain time Mm -hmm. Um, And by all accounts, it seems like it's maybe it's not completely dead, but it's it's going Mm -hmm. Um, that produced uh, many of the great saints of of India in the north and the south, too. But um, that, you know, this practice of of eight limb yoga, which really could uh, alter your consciousness and change the map of your consciousness um, through these practices, which allows you to um, kind of attain cities and powers that allows you to manipulate the physical world and the subtle world and your subtle body yeah and uh and these things are real and they really did happen and there were many great saints uh for you know thousands of years in india yeah really um you know it's not hocus pocus it's not magic it's just uh it's it's yoga and it's it's mysticism and these are these are real things and uh you know it seems like the modern world it's uh maybe they're incompatible with with the ultra modern world like we live in and which is why we're seeing so many of them go away but uh Neem Kalilib Baba had that you know he he had those powers he had that ability to uh jump into your heart and into your consciousness and play around and dance in there and make you feel that uh that feeling of unconditional love like that, that feeling of safety and that that feeling of just uh, of of warmness that also for everybody who was with him, that felt like coming home. Yeah. Think that mysticism was so powerful that it extends uh, out of his body, which was why people like you and me, or, uh, you know, so many people yeah. who never met him can still have a relationship with him. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the mystical answer. <laughs> um, I think the pragmatic answer is that he was smart enough and, and uh, kind of, savvy enough to not talk very much (laughs)
1: yes
2: (laughs) he he fell back you know into the bhav into into the you know into the mysticism and just to kind of sitting there and experiencing you know whatever you want to call it the bhav shakti or just good vibes whatever it is you want to call it so he didn't have to you know pollute it with so many words that round that sort of can be equated to dogma So, yeah, I I think that was a very good decision of his to to spend so much time just kind of hanging out in the ethereal, in the spiritual world and just sort of that force field of love Mm. and, uh, you know, fall back on language so much. Um, Not to say, I mean, there are many great teachers who, who use language extremely well. Right you know but uh i i think that, that that's a, that's a huge part of
1: it yeah yeah it's funny you know i'm <laughs> kind of laughing as you're saying the few words cuz i'm remembering when i first read miracle of love um years ago and uh i didn't i, I didn't know actually as i read the part it was somewhere in the middle or towards the end where it's talking about maharaji's you know humanness and uh, it's talking about how he, sister fucker was one of the words he who would use often, and uh, I never figured. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know. I'm like, all right, so yeah. And and then Krishna Das was up here in Ottawa sometime late last year, and I I went. We were hanging out before a set, and we were talking about Maharaji, and and that that came up, and we were laughing about it, and he just said, you know, he's like. You know, Chris, I, I don't know what it is, but Maharaji just seems to really attract a lot of the fuck ups, you know, and uh and, <laughs> and that's part of his, you know, his his beauty. And I love that, you know, because you know, looking at someone like Ram Das or Krishna you know, you wouldn't think that, but you know, we've all got our shit. And uh and I, I just, you know, I thought that was funny when he said that, because you know how true, how true it is. And I love that, you know, when you listen to Krishnadas talk. <laughs> You know, he doesn't mince words. He's a, he's a very, uh, you know, a wonderful teacher in his own right, but you know, he's also very human and transparent. Yes. And I love that. You know, I, I feel like the whole lineage, that's just such a, a wonderful thing that comes along with it.
2: I do too. And I love that about Krishna Das. I mean, he's really come into his own as a, as a, you know, a full on fully realized teacher. Yeah. Anyway, stepping away from the, from the chants and the music, you know, just going to his workshops, um, they are just you know, they're really amazing transmissions and it's so great to see that oh yeah absolutely yeah definitely but i, but I think too what you're saying about i i think there is you know people who come to neem crowley baba who come to a lot of you know these teachers or or this path um it's you it's it's not always the case clearly but it's it's often the case that it attracts people who have struggled
1: mm.
2: who have kind of hit walls whether it's been like very pronounced walls, like you, know, you and I, we share the addiction thing, and that's a very, you know, that's a big one. It's kind of like a big black and white wall. Right. But who have gone through like heartache or, 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 or whatever it is or just kind of feel kind of lost. It's not usually the people who are just sailing through life feeling kind of well-adjusted and they're happy in their office job. And eh, nothing else really seems to matter. It's usually somebody who kind of feels some kind of uneasiness about something. And then the spiritual path kind of fills that, that hole and that void. seems to me in my experience anyway.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's really well said. And, you know, because like I said, you know, early on, I'm getting into all these various Eastern teachings and that included Buddhism. It wasn't just uh, Hinduism. And to this day, the interesting thing I find is that um, I resonate very deeply with Buddhism and the teachings of uh, emptiness and uh, you know the Heart Sutra and things of that nature. They're very important to me. But then on the other hand, um, you know I, the the teachings on the soul, you know the Atman and Brahman, they which in a way contradict uh, certain schools of Buddhism, of course. Uh, that resonates is very true for me, and I always had a hard time. With the, um, the the dualistic uh, devotion towards God, and this is not this was before I was aware of even dualism versus non dualism in the spiritual context. It was just you know um, looking at Christ, for example, and and uh, you know having this this love or this this bhakti, this path of devotion. Um, but I found you know through Krishna Das, through Ram Das, and then of course you know coming to Maharaji. Uh, I was able to make peace with that in a, in, a, in a weird way. But, uh, and so I, I, you know, I don't feel any, any conflict within myself today where I have a deep reverence for these Buddhist teachings on emptiness that make a completely perfect sense to me. Um, yet at the same time, you know, singing, you know, songs to the great saints and, and so forth of India. Um, I don't know. But so I, I do feel I have Maharaji to thank for much of that as as well as Ram Das and of course Krishna Das and and people like Mirabai Star and, you know, the, the whole family, the whole uh, yeah,
2: Yeah, 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 de- definitely. And I think uh well about this um, you know, specific satsang, and uh, you know, they would uh, there's a lot of Buddhist influence into uh, you know, into Ramdas and uh, yeah. Krishna Das and uh, Mirabai Star and you know, kind of dancing around both worlds. And yeah. uh, and if you also spend time with Jack Cornfield as well, he's, uh, you know, obviously he's a Buddhist and right. you know, extremely well schooled and very scholarly and, yeah. and a lot of sadhana. But he's also a bhakta, and he's also very kind of aware and can speak the language of bhakti and knows how to play in that world as well. Yeah. So I, the lesson in that isn't something about, about those methods, but those I think the lesson in that is to not get so hung up on things being, you know, like, this is the path and I shall right. not waver from the path. It is only this. It is that there are, there are some, you know, there are some, uh, areas of gray. Right. You know, and, and that you can, you know, the truth is, uh, well, I mean, most things in life, the truth is probably somewhere in between.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I do love that when, when they have these retreats on Maui that you'll see, they have Lama Surya Das or Jack or Sharon Salzberg come out. And I, I love that that's, uh, you know, that's part of the offering. And I remember, God, you know, this was several years ago, uh, but there was a video that was posted and it was in Ram Das's living room. I, I know it was Ram Das and he was talking with Jack Hornfield, And I think there were two other people on the couch and I don't recall who the others were, but the part that sticks with me to this day, you know, as they're talking about the, the styles of teaching and Jack said, you know, in a very, honest and humble way, you know, and it was almost as if he realized it for the first time, though I'm sure it wasn't, but that's just, I remember how it struck me hearing it was how he recognized that certain, uh, aspects of the Buddhist tradition, uh, are very dry and could use more heart. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I remember when he said that and it was just like, yeah, wow, man, like, it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said it. And, uh, and that was really beautiful. The way he said it was very eloquent and, uh, I have not since been able to refine that video, but um, I'm going to have to go search for it again. I haven't looked in a while, but it was a great conversation, about an hour long. And uh, I don't know, but I just, I really appreciated that.
2: I I, I appreciate that too. And it's yeah. definitely so true. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I could say often at uh, times... You know, I, I consider myself to be, uh, my, uh, not to get into labels, but I consider myself to be a bhakti probably first and foremost. And sometimes uh, the bhakti practice, it's, it's too ecstatic. and needs mm. some quiet time. It needs some, some, you know, some time to just drop in the body and be in silent meditation. And, you know, sometimes all the ecstasy and the singing and dancing and the, you know, kind of celebratory aspect of bhakti and kirtan and, mm. and, and chanting can be can go for too far the other way so sure so you need to go back
1: yeah, yeah. right right and you know and uh, well i wanted to actually talk to you about that because you're up uh, you're a very well respected kirtan musician and uh i love your stuff i would love to hear what what led you um into actually taking up the harmonium you know and 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 de- starting to to sing your heart out in devotion what guided you into uh actually performing
2: um, well, a couple of things. Oh. Um, well, well, I've, I've been a, I've been a musician. Uh, you know, I, I grew up a musician yeah. and, um, you know, I played uh, bass and, uh, and guitar and went to music school actually for college. Yeah, And so I was kind of a, a musician. And, uh, when I started kind of getting into Bhakti, um, I started kind of accompanying some people on guitar and bass and things like that. And then sort of what happened was, uh, it's kind of a, a funny story which got me into into leaving Kirtan, mm-hmm. was with, um, uh, I was actually involved in a relationship with somebody whose uh, her um, kind of core practice was singing the Hanuman Chalisa. Mm-hmm. And she would sing it on guitar. And uh, she, she had a really lovely version of it. And uh, everyone was always very taken with it. And then I kind of just started playing along with her on the harmonium just to kind of accompany her. And then for whatever reason, Chris and this is maybe can go back into the mysticism of meme Karoli Baba yeah. but for whatever reason I learned the Hanuman Chalisa pretty quickly mm-hmm. it just came to me fast wow and uh and I I don't know why it's not like I have an incredible memory or anything it just came to me really quickly and then I started leading it um because really you know throughout uh the the scene in Los Angeles there's it's more these days but like six, seven years ago, there were uh, not as many people who could lead the Hanuman Chalisa. Yeah. And then I just started leading it because I was, I knew it. <laughs> and so people were like, oh, Zach's here. He knows, he knows it. <laughs> Have him lead it. And, um, so it kind of became this thing, like it was almost, uh, out of like necessity and practicality. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, do that. But then, you know, pretty quickly as well as I started, you know, when I started to lead the Chalisa, then I, um, you know, I just found this little ingredient, this little um, thing that just unlocked a, a little bit of my heart that I felt maybe was a little stagnant before in that sharing kirtan um, and singing kirtan was this amazing way to kind of jumpstart my devotional practice because it is um, it is the combination of music and devotion. Mm-hmm. And I love music so much. I grew up in the church of rock and roll and it's such an important part of my life. And just kind of the fusing the two together, it just was this amazing way for me to, to, um, to engage in sadhana, to engage in practice that just felt so joyful and, and felt like such a relief. And, uh, and that's just kind of what happened. Yeah. Uh, and then I just, I just fell into it and been been doing it ever since. And, uh, and I love it. I'm doing a kirtan tonight in, in Culver city here in Los Angeles. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's my goal. Um, I mean, I do kirtan and, and I, you know, and things like that, but I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't recorded an album yet, which is, uh, I think that's a, uh, a goal for this year or at least within the next year is to, uh, maybe just take it one step more seriously and, and record an album awesome. and just as an expression. I don't have a, it's not like I have this aspirational thing to be the next Christian loss or anything, but just as something as a, as an offering, I think it, I think I have an album in me. So that's great, man. Like.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited here. What I've seen, you know, on the YouTube stuff, I uh, I love it. So go for it, man. That'll be Thank great. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's awesome. I, uh, you know, I think that segues nicely. And you mentioned that, you know, growing up on the Church of Rock and Roll, something I also did. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. we share that in common. You know, so I, I wanted to definitely make sure we talked a bit about music in general, because, um, you know, you're a musician, I'm a musician, music lovers. <laughs> um I'm thinking back to a few years ago, because I, I haven't done it recently. I've moved to Canada a few years ago, but when I was living back in the States, I did a two-piece, very minimalist kirtan with uh, my friend. She's a wonderful yoga teacher and author. Her name's Alana Kaivalya. And we met because she would read something uh, I'd written online. and I So I, I took a train from Connecticut to New York to meet her, and we're hanging out. And uh, she's like, Hey, I'm performing at Yoga Journal Conference in Nestas Park uh, in a couple of months. Do you want to come play? And I was like, uh, Yeah, okay, sure. You know, I, I honestly didn't even know what Yoga Journal Conference was at that point. I was not very much into yoga, I was way into spirituality, but yoga wasn't um, too high up on my radar but i'll never forget like flying out there she picked me up and uh the we, <laughs> we'd never actually practiced together um <laughs> yeah we so our first performance ever was we went right on after Rod Striker gave the keynote and i borrowed a drum set from someone i had no idea who they were alana found him through someone in colorado and it was i think you know thanks to whomever that was that loaned it to us but it was Horrible. Like I could have bought a kid's drum set at Toys R Us and it would have been the equivalent. But anyways, we mic'd it up. It sounded all right. Um and and we made it through. But that was our first time ever performing. We didn't even practice together. But but it it, it went over pretty well. Anyways, why that's coming to mind though is that during that time, so I'm doing that, but I'm also doing this two another two-piece, like very droney, heavy uh thing where I'm playing bass and doing vocals, and then there's a, a drummer um that I was friends with and you know so it would be interesting one weekend i'm doing the kirtan the next weekend i'm doing this uh drone stuff and uh but they were both for me um very spiritual they you know the, the kirtan was of course more a bhakti devotional aspect uh but the droney heavier stuff was still a, a very spiritual experience for me um you know and and i remember actually when, when i when i was with krishandasa in Ottawa, I was talking to Arjun, who I know is a mutual friend of ours who does the uh, tablas for him. And we geeked out for like half an hour on Iron Maiden, you know. and and (laughs) He's a huge Iron Maiden. Huge. (laughs) And I love Maiden too. You know, Number of the Beast is still like on rotation for me pretty regularly. Um, But yeah, so anyways, that to say, like, you know, I've come across people who certainly, you know, if it's not, strictly spiritual then it is not spiritual music you know if it's not a form of bhakti or if it's not you know uh this beautiful ethereal kind of music then you know it, it can't be spiritual uh to which i have had very different experiences and i i wouldn't agree with that at all um you know even like bob dylan who's not strictly yeah. spiritual speaking the stones whomever like some of that's extremely spiritual to me. So what do you think about that? Do you, do you, what's your two cents?
2: Well, I mean, you know, I grew up in the Grateful Dead. Right, so. sure. Um, and you know, for, from an early age, from you know, about age 14 on, and I was pretty young and, uh, you know, no matter, this isn't a, a musical debate, but no matter what you think of the Grateful Dead musically or anybody mm-hmm. listening th- uh, to this thinks of them musically, you cannot deny that it was, um, you know it was some kind of mystical spiritual experience sure. that, that that happened in in the, the communion and the relationship between band and audience. So, you know, right away, you know, I fell into that, that magic pod that was a Grateful Dead, uh, a Grateful Dead concert. And it was an amazing, amazing, amazing experience. Yeah. Um, and it, it really kind of opened me up into, um, sort of sharing the communal aspect of music um, with, with others, sharing it with others, and that's sort of that, that ecstasy that is achieved by doing it together, yeah. um, which is similar to kirtan, actually. Um, a very different experience of uh, chanting kirtan alone in your puja room, which I do, and it's fine, but yeah. there's a different experience of doing that um, you know, alone than doing it with a group of people when you're all kind of tapping into the collective consciousness. And I think that's what music does, and it really doesn't matter so much about the genre i mean you know an iron maiden concert or a bruce springsteen concert today i mean that's the if you talk to people who are huge bruce springsteen and the E street band fans i mean the the um descriptors and 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 the levels of of descript you know of, of adjectives and and you know huge sort of uh soliloquies describing the experience of the Bruce Springsteen concert always come back to it. It's like going to church. Right. It's like testifying. Right. That's like, you know, old Southern Baptists, you know, let's get our praise on kind of, kind of feeling. Yeah. And, uh, and so much of rock and roll. And I think the reason for that is because so much of rock and roll, um, whether it's, uh, you know, I mean, most rock and roll is, you know, comes from the blues, yeah. Um, at least what sparked the genre. And a lot of that, you know, got intertwined into gospel very early on. Mm. And, you know, music came from a devotional place. Yeah. It did. And, you know, if you go back and listen to, uh, you know, gospel music from the 30s and 40s, it is very much like, you know, it is it is a joyful, rocking, you know, raucous sound about about praising the divine. And I think that's carried over into... You know, punk rock or heavy metal, to jazz, to blues, and now um, into EDM, which uh, you know a lot of uh, the kids today they like EDM. (laughs) (laughs) But if you go to like a huge EDM concert today, I mean, it is uh, um, you know some of the newer EDM artists aren't really my cup of tea. But you go see, and it's like, wow, Mm. this is quite a quite a sight to see. It's a thing, man. (laughs) It's a thing.
1: (laughs) You know, I realized I was old when I heard. the ED EDM, right? Yeah. I heard that for the first time like late last year. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And so I had to Google it and I'm like, wow, man, you are getting old. <laughs> exactly. You know? And and then I looked at my iPod and it's like, you know, man, more than half of the music on here is still stuff you were listening to in high school. And I'm okay with
2: that. <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm so exactly the exactly, exactly. same And this uh, it's funny, this uh last Coachella that just that just passed, it was the first Coachella um, that's, uh, first Coachella on record to where, you know, about mm, fifth oh, well over 50% of the bands I like, had not heard of.
1: Wow. Yeah. A- a- each year it seems like that is the case where more and more, I'm like, who the hell is that? Cause I don't know if yeah. it's noisy or vice or somebody does a write-up of like best to worst of Coachella performances. Yeah. And I looked at it last year and this year and it was like, holy shit, man. I really like. And even if I was familiar with maybe the name of a couple of them, I couldn't tell you a single song. I couldn't tell you what they sound like. I've I've officially started to become that guy, man.
2: That guy that's just. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I'm totally. And I would like. I'd pride myself on that. Like I I went to many, many Coachellas, many years in a row, and I'd pride myself on. I'm still current. I'm still current. I still. Uh. But that's it. I've slipped away, have become that guy. <laughs>
1: oh, man. Well, at it's least, okay, yeah, you're not alone. I'm not alone. It's good to know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's still great stuff going on out there. It's just you grow up, I guess you get busy. Things are happening. Um, I uh, I don't know. But I thank God, like, being the music lover I am, and I, I know you are, like, I'm sure our catalogs are so stockful at Colastus the next few lifetimes. So, you know, at least I've got that. Absolutely. Um, but you know, as you're talking, it's funny because I'm thinking about—I love Springsteen—and and you know, as you mentioned, like you know, people that go to that would, most of them would probably say it was something akin to going to church. And you know, I I'm thinking back to my old punk rock and hardcore days, and how that was—you know—such a a communal thing. It was a it it was spiritual in a way. I will never forget, and I wrote about this in my first book. The first time I put on uh, a vinyl, you know, a, a punk rock uh, vinyl it was just like something completely connected uh it just ripped through to to the core of my heart and it was like oh my god like i felt so alive when i heard it and then it's happened a couple of times throughout my life uh with johnny cash was another time and then uh deltron and cannibal ox are these underground hip-hop dudes but then krishna das and it was so interesting to me because it was really big with krishna das i remember taking uh i think God, yeah, now I'm going to forget exactly which album it was I took out of the library, but uh, it was my local library and I brought it home and it was almost the exact same experience I had as when I was sitting there with that seven inch that I'd put on, you know, as a teenager and it just cut right into my heart and in a very deep and real way and uh, a beautiful way. And, you know, and then I got to see him and, and it was, you know, completely different scene, you know, it wasn't like a, a punk rock show of people going crazy, but it was still a very communal thing, you know, people coming together and, uh, and it was just really beautiful, you know, to see that and, and to experience kind of, I, I don't want to say it, you know, two sides of the same coin, but, you know, it was really uh, a very similar in different way kind of experience.
2: Well, if, you know, if you talk to Christian to us, uh, personally, you know, he really is. Um, he's a real scholar of modern music and of rock and roll. Mm. Um, I haven't been to his house in New York, but uh, you know, he supposedly, you know, he has an incredible record collection mm. and he is, you know, he's a real muso geek. I mean, he knows, you know, every, every musician who's playing on every Steely Dan track and, you know, and who engineered every Springsteen album. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's in deep with it. So there's wow. no, uh, there's a lot of parallels there for sure
1: yeah yeah great guy yeah. so <laughs> you know i i see we're almost about 50 minutes here there's something i definitely wanted to chat with you about and i i saw the post you put about that kirtan you're doing tonight and i chuckled to myself wait you said something about there won't be any political discussions oh, yeah. in <laughs> songs so i wanted to talk to you about this anyways but uh, you know I'm, maybe i'm going to help you out here and let you vent uh, a little bit before your <laughs> kirtan. But I appreciate, you know, what, what you say. I, I we're friends on Facebook and I and I see the political posts you make and uh I'm a fellow Sanders supporter and sure. I woke up feeling definitely disappointed about last night's results. Uh Connecticut, my my home away from home, I went to bed and, and he was up and it was looking good and then I woke up and he ended up losing and it was yeah. not a great way to start the day. So yeah. Let's let's talk about this. Now, I before we do, I want to say that I'm I, I definitely am not uh, I I believe as politically aware as you are. I will say that right up front, but you know, I have I have been becoming much more so with this new election um and and you know, seeing what's at stake with Trump doing as well as he's doing uh and Hillary, who I'm not a fan of whatsoever at all. Um but uh anyways, so, you know, man, what's going on, what's happening this season from your point of view, what do you see happening and what do you see after that? Where, what, I don't know, man, America's future. I, I'm interested to get your take on this.
2: Well, first of all, I, let's t- talk about Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I am not, um, as upset as most, uh, other Bernie Sanders supporters are. Um mm. uh, and I do, you know, I consider myself a supporter. I donate money and mm. love it. And, uh, you know, I don't consider myself to be as as upset as most people are because sure. and I don't mean to be a downer here and <laughs> being a cynic, but and I know people are going to get really pissed. But he never had any real chance of winning. Mm, that's fair. And I knew that because it was apparent right away. He uh, he, he couldn't tap the urban areas. He couldn't tap mm-hmm. minorities, and that was that was very clear from very early polling data. And I'm not getting into conspiracies or anything like that. Sure. i being rigged. He just did not have urban support. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he had a youth movement behind him, a very smart, um, articulate, um, pretty much upscale, um, you know, uh, white people. But then it kind of it did translate into a lot of working class people where his uh, his message got through to, to the working class and to about, you know, wealth, uh, wealth disparity, wealth inequality and things like that. And he really did manage to tap that message, but I knew he was not going to go all the way because of the lack of urban support. So the fact that he went this far and that he brought this, uh, this cultural conversation about the, the political, about the flaws in the political system and, and the actual systemic issues that we need to fix, that he brought it this far and he brought it, to the national stage, he brought it to network television and this many people were talking about it, um, was an amazing accomplishment and he did it without support of major media. He did it on a grassroots level. It was a social media driven campaign and that to me is um, is an amazing, amazing, amazing accomplishment and it just, it, it, it gives me hope for the future because whoever is the next Bernie Sanders mm. is going to have that much easier of a time because he laid out a blueprint that basically showed, wow, you know, you can you might be able to win without a super PAC. You yeah. can do it. And the, holy shit, he made it much further than than and any of us thought. Right. Did it without super PAC money. And he did it without major media support. And that is so, so cool. So yeah. I think what's next um is uh, you know, it, it's it's very hopeful for that. But we have a problem on our hands, which is <laughs> Aside from that, and this is my big, and this is, was the part of my, my Facebook post this morning about the kirtan, was um, part of my, uh, I guess, pet peeve and things that I, I um, I'm sometimes not the most graceful Facebooker. <laughs> and, 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 and I know that, and I'm actually okay with it. It's just I'm very passionate about, about this stuff and sure. I consider myself to be an amateur pundit. But um, look, I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton. What None of us are I get it. But the reality of Donald Trump as president is a very, very dangerous proposition. And as bad as Hillary is, it's not Donald Trump. It's just not. And you cannot let Donald Trump become president. It's an amazing, amazingly disastrous reality for not just America, but for the world at large. I mean, it is oh, like a yeah. fascist to the highest office in the land. And we cannot let that happen. Hillary Clinton is not that I know she's not great. She's got her flaws, but she is not that she, she she's just a career politician and whatever that is, but she is not a racist, fascist psychopath. So, you know, the Bernie or bust movement, we we got, you got to lose that. We, We have to lose that because it's, I, I would even. I'd even go so far as to say that this is not like uh, 2012 with Mitt Romney. If this was Mitt Romney,
1: mm.
2: I might even back down and say, "Fine, okay, you don't want to vote for Hillary." You know, Mitt Romney's not great, but we'll live. This right. is not that. Right. This is an emergency situation. This right. isn't a joke. You know, this isn't Mitt Romney. This isn't George Bush. This isn't Ronald Reagan. You know, this guy must be stopped at all costs. And if Hillary is going to stop him, I'm sorry, but we got to do that. It's the way it goes. Yeah. That, that's my feeling. I know people don't agree, but that's what I think.
1: You know, it, it, I wouldn't say I disagree with that. I, what I would say for myself is it's just a really big pill to swallow, you know, yeah. because I do live in Canada now. I will be a dual that's citizen right. come next year. Right. So, you know, the U S is still home. I still, all of my family is there with the exception of course, of my wife and, and stepdaughter here. Uh, I, I, you know, you've made a very good point. If this was the last election, I absolutely would abstain. I would not vote for, uh, Hillary over Mitt. I would not vote for Mitt. I just would not vote. Or maybe I would have written someone in. Um, but this election, man, I, uh, <laughs> Hillary would be right next to uh on my puja, right next to Trump. You know, I can't stand her. I I, I know okay. Ra- Ram Das has that Trump on sure. his puja now. I would have to put okay. one of Hillary right next to him because she just every time she speaks it crawl it crawled, makes my skin crawl. You know, the, the <laughs> corruption, the you know, know, just the catering to I'll say whatever anybody wants me to say, you know. I can't stand her. But you make such a good point. And I was thinking about that this morning that he Trump has a realistic chance of possibly winning, like, yeah, and yeah. that terrifies me. The fact that if he comes into office, he's going to build a fucking wall separating yeah. us in Mexico. What kind of insanity?
2: And is not to that? mention the the the. the- the picture it paints in, in, uh, the, in foreign policy as well, the way the rest of the world will look at us. Oh my and, God.
1: And, it, and the, it's,
2: it's yeah. It's, the
1: way that they already do, that's the other thing, you know, the fact yeah. that Trump has done as well as he has done and, you know, seeing what some of the, the politicians from other countries have already said, have been saying since, you know, late last year when he started doing yeah. well, um, it's, it, you know, the damage is done, but, but it could get worse. Of course
2: it, it, it could get so much worse. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like doing admit it um but hillary clinton is a very well respected statesman yeah her her time as secretary of state sure there are a lot of there's a lot of bullshit like around benghazi and things like that but um she's very well respected on the international stage by other world leaders she is she just is and i know we don't like to admit that but so you know that that's something that is really really something to consider but you know the other the other part of it. And I just I just want to want to say this, and this yeah. is the, that I've been harping on a lot lately. And this is one of the great uh, things about Obama is that he views he and he says this a lot in a lot of his talks is that political progress is is uh, comes in fits and starts, mm-hmm. it comes in little bits and pieces. Rarely does it happen in one fell swoop of a revolution. Yeah. So. You know, to me, it goes back to, like, I, it's unfortunate that Hillary Clinton is, is, you know, the choice that we have to make. But, like, you know, we all face a lot of realities every day in which we are complicit to the way that the machine works. And this is the argument I got into on Facebook uh, yesterday with somebody who I actually like and respect a lot. But, and, like, he was a Bernie or bust person and taking the thing. Well, I have to vote my conscience and I'm an idealist and da-da-da and said I have to vote with integrity. But, like... You know, we're all complicit in the problem. You know, we pay tax dollars that go to build killing machines. Mm. We buy electronics that are made in China by child labor and people jumping out of windows. We drive mm. cars that use foreign oil. We all do this. Right. It's just part of the way society set up. So, I mean, you make little choices here and there that can make, you know, ultimately affect the bigger picture and you do what you can along the way. And it's not to say we're all guilty and we're all terrible people, right. but there are some tremendous sacrifices that you have to make with being alive in the society as we have it. And um, yeah, again, in this case, you know, uh, the only objective is uh, is defeating Donald Trump. It, it doesn't matter if Mickey Mouse is running against him. You know? Yeah. It doesn't. It's uh, I, <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump, it's a very scary thing that he's gotten this far. Like back in August, um, last August, when he announced his his candidacy, I didn't think he was going to. I thought it was a joke. A lot of people, oh did. yeah, you know. Yeah. So uh, this guy can't be taken seriously. You know, he, he he's a joke. But wow, he's found a voice and
1: amazing. It's it's terrifying. I remember when he announced it. My mom and I kind of laughing. And for the next month, you know, you see him in some interviews. He's God. I don't. I'm going to sound judgmental. He's an idiot. You know, like he. Idiot. I I think they said he has like the uh, the the level of a fifth grader when it comes to like speaking or whatever. You know, he's somewhere <laughs> around there. You know, so it's it it was fun, funny for a minute, and then it's like, wait a minute, like this is this really happening? Like the popularity is growing. You start seeing some Trump signs pop up, and it's like, holy shit, you know. So now, you, I loved what you said about Bernie and 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 how his campaign has been a huge success in its own right, particularly for the future Bernies. But what scares me is if Trump gets into office, will we have a future, you know, waiting for the next Bernie Sanders, whether it's male, female, whatever the case may be, you know, are we, are we going to still be here? You know, like,
2: well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, I know a lot of people who, who I know who are kind of like on the fringes of, of, uh, you know, chaos culture and things like that are, um, you know, subscribe to the school. It's like, uh, you know, you need chaos to happen before it gets better. So let Trump become president because that'll be the, the shake up and the wake up that everybody needs to finally get their shit together. Um, I don't subscribe to that yeah. theory. I don't, I don't want to take that risk, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I get that. Um, and you know, what we, what we, it's always like this with the political process in America. It's, it's been like this for, um, really since the sixties, you know, since, uh, since the late sixties when Bobby Kennedy died and, right. and Coldwater and, things like that but um that if everybody voted if everybody mobilized and voted um you know the, the republican party would be a thing of the past yeah uh, that's just uh that's just doing the math yeah. it's that we have a you know we have a very apathetic youth culture today who does not participate in the process because they, they're they so cynical and for oh, yeah. they think the process is so is so polluted and now what what happened with bernie sanders and so much of the, you know, voter disenfranchisement uh, issues, right. Um, you know, that's what's worth taking a look at. But, you know, I do think, you know, I, I do maintain that op- optimism about the American political process that if the people band together and rise up, they can make a difference. I do maintain that to be a truth. Um, so it's just that people don't. Yeah. So, we deal with the consequences.
1: We do. And I, and you're right. I know it's left a lot of people feeling disheartened and jaded and rightfully so with, you know, seeing everything that's happened this political season with Bernie, but you know, it is what it is. And God, I just, I think,
2: I, I, but I, again, though, I think it's great. I mean, Bernie just, he, he yep. sparked this conversation into the, yes. the national, uh, you know, vernacular diatribe. That's just, wow. It's very cool. And people are talking about real issues now about the systemic issues and i that's amazing so,
1: absolutely yes yes my head of course is very much off them and, and that's tremendous what he has done i just <laughs> go back to man being scared if the we bummer. if okay. trump comes in like what a what a step huge step backwards we'll take is, From Obama is to trump oh my god oh, ouch yeah big time well it'll be interesting that is for sure well, Zach, thank you so much You know for taking the time to chat with me today. It's been a very enjoyable, enlightening conversation with you. Uh, I'll definitely have to have you back on the show sometime later on where we can discuss things. Maybe, maybe in November we'll, we'll reconnect, to see what's going on at the electoral <laughs> process. Likewise, and you'll come back on my show at some point. Cool, man. Well, thank you. Have a great kirtan tonight, and I look forward to our paths crossing sometime in person uh, in the future. Cool. Thanks, Chris. All right, man. Be well.